Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Hayden Bolick, and today I have Paula Fisher, who's here with me. And we are going to discuss the fundamentals of the profession. But before we go all into that, Paula and I introduce you. In previous podcasts, so let me give a little background here. In previous podcasts, we've discussed applying for a job, how to apply, how to have a good resume, what to look for when you're applying for a job, what to look for in a different job, kind of knowing yourself when you're looking for a position. We've also discussed interviewing um, Alice and Nancy and I did that one where we talk about good interviews, what to wear, questions to ask, lots of different topics in that great interview podcast. Then we've also discussed, so you got a job and so you got a paycheck. Now what? <laughs> and so check those out sometime. There's some good stuff in there. But this one really is, um, before I get all into that, though, hold on, let me back up. Paula, I know who you are, but nobody in our audience knows you yet. So you introduce yourself. My name is Paula Fisher, and I've been a speech-language pathologist for over 20 years. I've had the good fortune, since my husband was active-duty military, to work in a variety of settings and states and programs, and that includes um, university and hospital, day rehab, inpatient, private practice, and I've been able to bring all of those areas that I've developed expertise in to pediatric developmental therapy to be able to share that with the therapists that have been here and mentor new therapists and have an opportunity to also get involved with therapy in the schools, which is one area that I hadn't had the opportunity. And it's just been a really good experience um, so far to be at pediatric developmental therapy. Well, it's been a better experience for us. It's always a good day when Paula's around. Always a good day. That's right. <laughs> Paula's a wealth of experience, and Paula's also from originally New Jersey, and we always have a way of getting to the point significantly better than most of like myself, who's all Southern. <laughs> so sometimes that... Um, so bring your jersey, it helps. <laughs> so, and one, one, which is one of the reasons why I asked you to be here today. So, here at PDT, we are truly blessed, Paula. You know, to have a great, awesome group of therapists—speech uh, therapists, occupational, physical therapists—they work really hard at the fundamentals. And as a supervisor, as you know, we work really hard to help them with the fundamentals. Yes. And um, and our tagline is grow more, do more, be more. Paul, you were here when we didn't have the tagline when we were growing, doing, and being more, and we didn't right. know we were doing it. Mm-hmm. And now you're here when we have the tagline mm-hmm. and we focus really hard on it. So, you know, like I do, new therapists, old therapists, I mean, you've had, you've worked with lots of CFYs. I learn as much from them as I do from, I hope as much, I learn more from them sometimes I think I'm teaching them. Yes, well, because they're they're just coming out and they have all the current information and literature. And I also think that we see how we're not just getting therapists from the East Coast, we're getting them from all over the country now. And that brings a different perspective in from not just coming from, say, the North Carolina schools are coming from all over the country. And even though we have a lot of people that are military and they're only here Mm -hmm. for a short period of time, I just feel the commitment that we have knowing that they're coming in maybe only for three or four years. And we still want them to leave in a better, with a better professional 
state than than they came here and it so it is it's kind of a two-way street that we're learning from them with that new knowledge and hopefully that when they're here they're getting so much out of the the core competencies that they're able to get with not just speech therapists but with OTs and with PTs. Well um, if we bring it back to the fundamentals you know which is as a supervisor we have to do a lot you know and and um, that really keeps people focused and really helps you grow as a therapist and it's the coolest thing I didn't realize this would happen when we had the core competencies and we when we when we developed those and when we developed our tagline grow more do more be more a, sort of a, a great thing that's happened for us as supervisors is to be able to see these therapists really grow mm-hmm. and not just as therapists but as professionals and so I had no idea and now I'm blown away every day of what I see our are we do and the just I see great things from our admin staff and our therapists that our admin staff is doing great stuff so the way we can see our kids. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can't, if, if they don't do their job, we can't do therapy, yes. you know? And then our therapists are doing a phenomenal job of really changing people's lives and making them, making them better. And we as sort of as the supervisors get to watch all that, and it's a very cool place to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that in many places that I've worked with, they have more of a job description, and that's just so cut and dry, and it's very mm-hmm. hard to look at that and apply it. Whereas with the core competencies, I we've talked about this before too, those enter into your personal life mm-hmm. and so many life skills, not only as a therapist at PDT, and it's it's helping, as we talked about, the child grow, uh, you know, the child be able to be treated holistically, then the therapist is really growing as a, as a total person both professionally and personally. And I think that's what we talked about too, how so many people that come into the field say, you know, I really do like people (laughs) that I work with. And I don't think many positions, people in jobs can say that, that they Mm -hmm. like everybody they work with, but it just does create that culture of Mm -hmm. you have people that are here supporting you. And um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the case at at every place where you work. No, no, it's not. And it it is a, is a, We've worked really hard at PET to develop our culture and to develop it all the time. And we only do it by having great therapists mm-hmm. who really buy into it, um, understand what we're trying to do, understand and agree with our why, why we're therapists, uh, what our focus and our mission is. And so some of these pitfalls that we'll be talking about are really traps that we don't want people to fall into. So right. we're naming them, we're identifying them. We want to help people avoid them, people that work with us and other mm-hmm. people. But um, we work really hard here at PDT to help people not fall into those so that they can be great therapists and great professionals mm-hmm. overall. And so they can help families and children, you know, help children get better and educate families. Right. And and we talked about how difficult, it looks easy to do that, but it's difficult to kind of bring that game every single day with every single family and every single child because some children are more challenging than others. And and that's something that does, when you see people around you doing that every day, it kind of inspires you to to kind of get through those difficult days. So this particular topic is the honeymoon is over, the honeymoon is done, and now you have a job. And because of the all new positions, you know, Paula, or any, any mm-hmm. whether you've been working for a long time or whether this is your first new job, I, we see it all the time when we've hired people. And you're mentoring people, so you know, it's all good and happy and hunky-dory, and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning, you're like, oh my goodness, this is work. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me it was work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're calling it the honeymoon hangover. And, the, and we're going to discuss today about basically the pressure points. Because like you and I know, and we've said before too, therapy is the easiest thing you do all day. Right. I mean, that's what you went to school for. Mm-hmm. That's what you can do. And that's, that's, and that's what you spent however many years, what, 
two, three years getting an advanced degree doing is learn how to be a therapist. But it's all that collateral junk that comes with it that really is the job that's the stressors for people. Right. So we're going to talk about those. Mm-hmm. So we've narrowed it down to, well, we've sort of summed up some of the pressure points in four big areas. The first one we think is time management and scheduling. And, you know, you and I, when here at PDT, we do, um, we have core competencies. We follow sort of the basics of performance level for how you're doing your job and expectations. And one of ours is time management and scheduling. But you and I have talked about it, Paula. Sometimes when people have no plan, that's the biggest issue. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're the one who said a lot of times people do what they want to do versus what they're expected or what their job is to do. You know? <laughs> We, we see that particularly with new grads, and the example that where that came from was that everybody has like strengths and things that they enjoy doing and things that they don't, and as far as not really having that experience with time management, some of the newer therapists gravitate towards doing the things they like to do and then procrastinate and don't do the things that they have to do and really have no way to prioritize that. And that's what gets them into trouble because eventually all of those things that need to be done pile up and pile up and then they get in that deep, dark hole that we've talked about before. And it's difficult to get out because every day you are seeing back-to-back children and sometimes groups at the schools. And that's what happens. And that, that leads into the other two documentation that we'll talk about in a little bit. But it really is something that setting priorities and following through with those priorities is something that is difficult that we've seen. That's why I was talking about your jersey before. Because when I go into a situation and I see a therapist, we've worked together with lots of people. I'll go in, I'm like, okay, you know, new therapist. I'm like, and I tend to use a lot of nice, like, all right, here's how you're doing. You're doing a great job. You know, I tend to be a cheerleader a little bit. Okay, this is going great and this is going great. But, you know, this area over here in terms of, you know, trying to get all your stuff done, do and in when it's due, you know, not documentation, but just so you're not running around with basically like a chicken with your head cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to sugarcoat all that a little bit more than you do, whereas that's where I'm sometimes like, that's when your jersey is helpful because you're like, look, here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do this, but you got to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. do that. And, and sometimes yeah. I don't think they even realize that's what they're doing because the preparation and thinking about what where they've been in graduate school, the way you learn everything in graduate school is they break it down and they separate it. And we kind of laugh because when you do learn how to do an evaluation in graduate school, they make you write like four, six page, pages long, and and you're working so hard on this and you're getting everything. And then you get out in the real world and they look at it like, I don't, I'm not going to read this. I don't need this. <laughs> and And really the whole idea was to make you do it, understand it, write it, know it, live it, and... That's, again, another thing where graduate school doesn't really easily translate into the real world and the job that you have to get done. And nobody really tells them that in graduate school. No, they don't tell them that graduate school. And even even like we recently you know, were talking about a therapist and they've worked somewhere else for a few years mm-hmm. and then they come and work with us. Well, even though they have lots of great experience and they've worked in one environment in one setting. And so the way that they schedule their workflow, their time management, their, their just scheduling, of it has to completely shift, you know, mm-hmm. when they're here. And so you really have to start each day with a plan and sort of look and know what's expected of you in, in general. And if you don't start any day with a plan, then you really, thats I think that's where people get way off. 
not having a plan for their schedule, mm-hmm. not having a plan for their time, really analyzing how they spend their time. And like we were saying, you know, even with the with all of it, just doing what you have to do and know what's expected versus have to do versus what you want to do. It's just the lack of planning, I mm-hmm. think, really is what to me seems the biggest biggest deal. Well, and and the time management and scheduling never goes away in our job. And I think some people have more of a natural tendency to be able to do that, and it and it comes easy to them. And then other people don't really even know where to start with it, and that gets them into so much trouble too. Because the job turns out to be—I mean—we're fairly autonomous when we're doing this job, and that's that's just the way the job is. And some people going from that supervision and that direction that's so intense in graduate school, and then all of a sudden coming out and saying, okay, there you go. They just, they don't have that experience to do no. it. And they're kind of looking, and once you get a job, then people are looking at around, you know, you know, we're paying you, so we're sort of expecting you to be able to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. And in graduate school, you're told to sort of when to be there, what to, how long to spend there, what to do, when to do it, all that. And so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a shocker to mm-hmm. you. And, and the result is when you get out and get a job, you're running around crazy all day and you're wasting a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people even realize it they have to almost be taught in a way. I mean, I wish somebody had told me 20 years ago, hey, mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, I only learned it the hard way. But I finally figured out, I think I'm running around crazy all day. Maybe I mm-hmm. need to stop that and mm-hmm. plan so I don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which kind of leads into a little bit of the documentation. You sort of touched on a little bit. But documentation, I think, you know, in graduate school, like you're saying, you got to write these crazy reports. And a lot of them's a theory and understanding what you got to write and making sure you can write it and all that. But that just does not fly. And that's the other mm-hmm. documentations are other big thing of where the wheels come off the wagon, whether or not it's successful, where they a pressure point hinders them from being successful. It's the collateral junk mm-hmm. documentation. One of the big issues I see, and we've talked about too, Paul, is being concise. Mm-hmm. You know, they write, well, she the little child was seen and she had, Pretty braids and glasses, and accompanied by mama and grandma and neighbor next door. And or I went into the house, and they have a big dog and a little dog, and I put my bag down. You know, you know, and that's we're not exaggerating. I haven't read many of those, but that well, no, that's real informative to exaggerate a little bit. <laughs> well, they'll say, you know, I'll, I'll read things for child dawn glasses, and you know, child company. Well, you know, was a little fussy coming into therapy, but then got happy as I'm like. I mean, I, I might have been a little fussy coming to therapy, but I don't need to document that part of it, you know. I don't know, you know. I don't know. But um, we've seen that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We've seen, um, I think, don't you, I think sometimes people write because they don't understand what to write. Yeah, and, and I do think it goes back to the supervision is that you have that safety net when you're in graduate school and someone's checking it. And when I was supervising at Kansas State University, we had this one student, they called their 10 draft Deb and <laughs> she, she was I mean I, I was a new person there so they kind of transferred her to me but they said it just took her forever and and then you and the other thing about writing reports in graduate school as you know you know you might only have a couple of fluency evals to write or you know maybe you didn't have someone in the area of apraxia and you have to go and do that on your own, or you have to get a mentor to to tell you, okay, what do I need to write? So I think it is a lack of experience a lot of times in doing that. And, and like you said, they just don't know what to write, but they know that they have to put something down, and um, they need the they really need more guidance on that. Well, and you really have to. I mean, as a supervisor, I mean, supervisor is a lot in that term, mm-hmm. but you know, in your in your role, 
but a lot of the time is, is really mentoring to, and helping these people be successful because they are good therapists, but they weren't taught. And so you do have to have a good supervisor to help you say, okay, here's the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Here it is. You know, this is what you got to do. But I think people spend a lot of time um, writing everything. They tell you what happened in the therapy session, but they tell you a lot more than you need to know. Yeah. And, and there seems to be a disconnect with new therapists as to how vital it is to do documentation. I had a conversation with a therapist that was just having a difficult time getting the notes done. And I said, think about yourself. When you go to your primary care physician, think about you were sitting there and the doctor, you know, was thinking about making a referral. You had an issue. You had to go to another specialist. And now you made that appointment and you went to the specialist and then you get there and the specialist says, well, I don't have any documentation from your primary care physician. And, and that's what's so important. It's That's part of your job. And that tells people you did the job. Mm-hmm. And many mm-hmm. times, I don't know where this comes from, but it almost seems, like I said, disconnected or not a part of it that you're treating the whole child. And that comes with the family. And that comes with they're not just in the therapy session, they're in school, they're at scouts, you know, they're at soccer. And they don't seem to see how important that documentation is, and if you're not good at it, to find a way to get better at it because you have to do it. It's part of the treatment like we've talked about with just it's included in what you bill for with Medicaid. Well, I mean, then there's definitely documentation requirements. but And I even think like for, you know, even people who aren't right out of graduate school, but people who've worked other places. And I kind of even like for us, when we even, we weren't new to PDT, but when we went from paper documentation to electronic documentation is kind of in some ways like an employee when they start with us when they are new but they've got experience you know we had experience but we were moving from a completely way of documenting our old way which is paper to new way which is electronic and the learning curve and we almost have to be retaught and so even when Mm -hmm. we hire people that have worked other places and they're coming in here they really do need to understand what you know I think their documentations even then has to be tweaked and it's kind of nice for them because they have a point of reference of what has to be they understand hey look I need to what to document, but I think how to quickly document it, mm-hmm. how to efficiently document it without spending days and weeks and months on documentation. Because that's what I see where people spend way too long on their documentation. They don't use technology like they need to to document mm-hmm. correctly. You know, mm-hmm. I think I see that a lot. I had to learn that when we went to EMR. Mm-hmm. You know, we hired a therapist not, well, I don't know, it's been a while now. And she has worked, had worked some other place for a while. And during orientation, we were going over some documentation stuff. And I noticed she just kept trying to make our system and the way that our system, our EMR system works, fit her old system. Mm-hmm. And eventually I was like, look, it's this is the system we have here. This is what we do here, you know. So this is how you got to do it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that was somewhat of a shock or a learning curve for her. Mm-hmm. I, I, I channeled Paula in that situation because my Southern really wouldn't have normally let me be that (laughs) organized with her. (laughs) Um, I think kind of going in with the documentation, like what you're saying is I think another hmm, pitfall or pressure points or whatever you want to call it is good communication. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. And you would think being speech language pathologist that 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 would be automatic with us, but... Not it really, really, in our experience, hasn't been. <laughs> no, that's not a that's not a two for one. No, Mm-mm, no, you don't get buy one get one free on that one. No, we hire if you're we're talking about new grads just for a second. We hire a lot of new grads, or not all, but we hired some, and they're in the millennial generation. 
And I think there's a lot of positive stuff that they bring to the table that we, in my generation, um, you know, different. But I think in terms of communication, one of my challenges as a manager, supervisor, whatever, has been that I communicate differently than people, you know, 20 years younger than me, mm-hmm. at least. And one of the big things I've seen is they don't, sometimes I'll, I'll just pick up the phone and call you. That's not how I usually like to communicate with people. But I think some of the therapists that we hire that are significantly younger, that's not their first thought process. You know, I don't know if you, right. Paula, can sort of speak to some of that, too, mm-hmm. if, or if you've noticed that as well, um, the, about getting people to call people. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like almost they're afraid sometimes just to pick up the phone and call. Like, call, well, let's just call that parent. Well, I'll send them an email. I mean, no, 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 we got to just call them. Yes. I mean, it's, if therapy anything is personal, let's call mm-hmm. them. Well, and it, it's so interesting because— Right before I came over here, I had an experience at one of the schools where I had checked the billing and it was, you know, it was an error that instead of recording 30 minutes for a session, it was 60 mm-hmm. and caught it and said, okay, just send an email and go ahead and do this. Well, the therapist went in and the message that she got on the computer was that it, it had been locked and it had been billed already. Mm-hmm. And that just completely made her freeze. Like, well, what do I do now? And I said, well, <laughs> you see that phone that's right on that wall? <laughs> you pick that up <laughs> and you call over to the office and you say, I can't do this. I can't correct this myself, but it needs to be corrected. And so she did that and then hung up. And then and then she realized that that was going to alter her school time, too, for the right. whole productivity for the day. And went in, did the same thing. I said, she goes, oh, I can't change my school time. I said, you see that phone right there? <laughs> pick it up and call them back. And... And you're right. I thought you know, it just seems like such a logical, problem-solving, natural thing to do. And, it, you know, it wasn't a bad conversation. I mean, she got, got what she needed to do, and everybody was happy, and it was fixed. And um, it just it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, how are these things being done when you're not there? You just happen not to be there that at that time. Um, because, again, it's not a new therapist, and it's not a new system. We really kind of said this again and again, how you have to let the people in admin know what's going on because of how difficult it is for them to fix something like that if it's not caught in a timely manner. It's not clear. Mm-hmm. You know, people can email around for days yes. or text around for days and all, which some one of the things I have learned from millennials is how to send a good clear text, you know? I mean, I had to learn that. <laughs> and um, and that, you know, you can resolve a lot via text mm-hmm. or or sometimes email. But I think one of the things hopefully they maybe they've learned or are learning from me is exactly what you said. You know, we're in a people business. So you got to pick up the phone and just say, you just sometimes can't explain everything over the email. You got to like, just look, hey, this is what I did. Right. What do I do with this? How do mm-hmm. I fix this? Or not or whatever, you know? Um, even with parents, I'll, I'll, watch, I'll call them. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, that's a surprise. Yeah, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot in the schools is pick up the phone and tell the parent. If you're going to exit the child from therapy, it doesn't need to be a surprise at that meeting no. because they might not agree with that. And the phone call goes so far to let them know that they're the primary person. We're the secondary people. You know, The parents are the primary person. They have that little guy or gal 24-7 since they were born, and they know a lot about them, and they need to have that respect shown to them that they're a member of the team, and you need to have that conversation with them. And so many times, many of the issues that come up and things that blow up 
could so easily have been handled by just picking up the phone because they don't know what's going on, especially in the schools a lot of time with their child. And it really makes a difference to have those communication skills on the phone. Going back to what you were saying about speaking to people in the admin office, I think it also develops a relationship for them to show respect for what people in the admin office do as well, or wherever you work, to be able to know that you're not doing this by yourself, you're going to need support, you're going to need to show that person that what they're doing is important to help you and um, and to even understand so that next time maybe you don't make that mistake again and you don't have to make two phone calls, it's just one phone call, or you can help somebody else know what to do. I tell you what, it goes a long way. I mean, you've supervised a lot of people, Paul. I supervise a lot of people. And I heard this a long time ago. Your boss sort of always knows what's going on. You know, even if you're screwing up something, because let me tell you, well, I screw up something on a daily basis, but even, but right out of school or right in a new job, you're going to screw something up. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just the way it's going to be. But if your boss, manager, supervisor, or, or even your coworker, whoever it is, if you're communicating, hey, this is what's going on, it means you're trying. Mm-hmm. You're taking some responsibility for what you've got. And that says a lot about you. So usually they're thinking, okay, you don't get that, well, oh, you know, I never hear back from her. I don't want you. Otherwise, you're just out in there and all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And and you're the people that could potentially help you. If you don't communicate with them, they don't know you're trying. Right. They start to make up assumptions because they never hear from you. That's right. a problem. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and I learned two things when I was in the hospital that was so important. The first thing they drilled into us was you call somebody back within twenty four hours. You mm-hmm. call them back. And whether or not, you know, you have to leave a message, you call them back because that phone call is important. And secondly, when parents came into the hospital and they're coming, they're looking, finding where they have to go, they said their policy was stop what you're doing and to take that parent, walk that parent to where they need to be because they are in a really stressful situation and they don't know what's going to happen and their little one has something wrong with them. And the last thing they need to do to be wandering around the hospital trying to find where they have to go. And and these are, going back to communication, these are people skills. These are skills that a lot of times you're not going to get with the texts or an email. You have to know how to handle that situation and what's the appropriate way to communicate face-to-face or on the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. And smart communication, you know, knowing professional smart communication. And mm-hmm. also just communicating, like, just phone manners, proper yes. etiquette on the phone, or mm-hmm. proper etiquette in an email, mm-hmm. proper etiquette in a text. You know, you don't want to – I might use some, you know, slang – the letter U for Y-O-U when mm-hmm. I'm talking to my children, maybe. I've right. learned that from people significantly younger than me. But if I'm texting in a work situation, you know, if, uh, which a text can be very helpful in a work situation. Some, if it's, It can be very, it can be great. I would never use the letter U. Right. You know, it's just, I mean, and in, a, and in an email, I try to make sure in the subject, I've got a very clear, this is what you're going to read about. And I don't mm-hmm. try not to write a book. I've improved with that in the years. I've <laughs> had um, some growth in that area, but I've learned a little bit. And so, you know, try to be concise and to the point so that whoever's getting it knows, hey, this is to the point. And in a phone, I try to use proper etiquette. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people don't really know that or use that or whatever. Right. You know? There is phone etiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, here at Pediatric Developmental Therapy, we have some great therapists. You Paul, a mentor therapist every day. I do as well. Um, we've got, like I said earlier, therapists that have taught me actually how to do a decent text, but a lot more than that. We talked also about our core competencies, but our tagline right now is, is well, and it has been, we've always had it before it was even written down, grow more, do more, be more. When we hire therapists, 
we're certainly looking for good therapists, you know. But we're also really trying to help our therapists grow into professionals overall. But we have some phenomenal, probably talk about where our therapists are, you know, teach us stuff every day. You've done countless numbers of CFYs and countless numbers of just supervision for therapists, and so have I. For example, one story I can think about is, and I've told you about this, she actually was a therapist on your team, but she and I went to a house, Mm -hmm. and we were working with a mom and um, a a little boy. He was a two-year-old boy. Well, this therapist also just happened to see his older brother at a different, at one of the schools. And the mom, when she put the pieces together of who this therapist was, you know, her whole face lit up and she goes, oh, you're the one that's been sending me all those all that speech information home about what to do with my son. And, oh, my gosh, I love that language folder he gets every week, I believe. Mm-hmm. And her whole face, so which is a, so it doesn't, communication, like we've been talking about, does, you know, voice-to-voice is important, but there's lots of ways to communicate, yes. you know. And she just, 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 just those little, just a little one-page thing, what we did in therapy today and, Here's what work on at home was all that mom needed. She knew exactly, and she went on and on and on, which was great for me as a supervisor. I wasn't involved in that. That was 100% the therapist, you know. Yes. But um, but that was fabulous. Can't get any better than that, really. And it's really rewarding to see when you have worked with um, a therapist, and we also have speech assistants mm-hmm. here, that when you see them doing something completely on their own as far as time management, there was a therapy uh, assistant, therapy assistant who uh, was building a new schedule on the day she was at one of the schools. One um, fewer days that she used to be last year, and um, realized she had a block of time. And then said, "Hey, you know, why don't I go over to the school and see some groups of children? Because we were out for whatever reason, and I want to make sure that." we're going to get the therapy made up because that's one of the things that's so important too is her focus was the why of PDT. Mm-hmm. We're here to help mm-hmm. children and their families. And she knew that she had been had been developing her time management skills with us reinforcing them and helping her do that. But she just took that upon herself to reschedule that, make that work. And as we talked about, it wasn't really, you have to have flexibility. And she she saw the big picture and put it in there and was flexible and was able to get those children their therapy session when we'd had a week of a lot of cancellations and, and school closings. And that was so important. And, and also that I think the great thing about PDT is because we have speech therapists, occupational therapists, and physical therapists our therapists aren't isolated. I mean, I know some people that work at places that just don't get to have, we do talk yeah, about mentoring exactly. and supervision, but there's there's sort of that um, peer mm-hmm. influence that everyone is buying into um, the all of the core competencies that because everyone is practicing them. And I think that's really important for them to share and, and to see that at PDT. Well, and one of the things um, we just completed this past year, we just completed our new um, performance review process for everybody. And one of the things I noticed with, and this kind of, I'm sort of going backwards a little bit and talking about time management and scheduling. This is a really hard area for therapists when they first start. But one of the things I noticed, because I reviewed all the PDPs, I mean, you guys, you you, Paula, did all your people and all the team leads did, everybody they supervised. But I reviewed them all. And one of the things I noticed was with the whole scheduling and time management, you could really see with a, a new therapist when they first come on board, it's really hard. It's mm-hmm. This is a hard, hard, tough area. We do mentor them, and we do give them a lot of guidance with that. And we really at first do the scheduling for them, and then we slowly 
you know, we give them tools to help them better manage their time and make a plan and, and develop their schedule. So it's not just we don't throw them out there. Right. Like, good luck with that. You know, that's not how we do it. But it's interesting. You can see, since I reviewed all everybody that come in a whole, you could see the therapists who've been doing this for a while, they have these – they have a lot of good strategies and plans and skills in place. And the newer therapist – you could see where they really are developing because you're looking at the whole, you know, half the year and you could see after 90 days mm-hmm. where they are with their time management and after, you know, six months where they are with their time management and how much they, how much, you know, they're able to really sort of look at the big picture, make a plan. Mm-hmm. Then they can shuffle because mm-hmm. they have an overall plan. So that, so it doesn't cause a stress for them during the day because they can shuffle their time because schedules always change. And so they can shuffle their time and how they, how they're, balancing their time to get all their work done and not be stressed out about it. Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting. And and that the kids get seen. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it because we have been doing this for so long. We forget that it's a lot to absorb. They're absorbing oh, yeah. things on all different levels, and it does take a while for some things to become more routine and natural for them um, to do. And it's great when you can see that growth in them. Well, and we had a um, this last weekend, you and I both worked, we had snow you know, and we had to work on a Saturday, which is what we don't normally have to do, mm-hmm. but we did. And your team was phenomenal. They were all there, ready to go, bright and early. <laughs> and um, But I went over to help, and I just told you, hey, look, tell me where you need me to go, and right. I'll go. Mm-hmm. Well, that therapist I was working with, she had a plan. She, I was like, okay, here I am, but I was a little bit, I don't normally, I'm not there every day, you know, kind of thing. And it's a good example of, I'm not new at this. However, at that particular situation, I was relatively new because I don't go there every day. She had a plan for my time. Mm-hmm. She had a schedule for me. She was shifting and doing. I did the part that was the easy, the therapy, but she had all the collateral stuff that caused all the pressure already worked out for me. So it was simple. She had my documentation ready to go for me. Mm-hmm. She had all my folders right there. She had a schedule for me for how I spent my time and how I managed my time. And then she was telling me all day long, okay, Hayden, do this. Oh, hey, Hayden, all right, go get mm-hmm. them. Oh, hey, Hayden, get this. And I... So I had a great easy day. Now hopefully she did because she had to deal with me. But um, but she was great. She was. I mean, it was. It couldn't have been smoother or better. She was really. She was on it. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of ties everything together when we have our team lead meetings that we're taking one of these different core competencies and bringing them up again and saying, well, how are you doing on this? Give me some examples where you've been successful with time Mm -hmm. management or documentation. And let's talk about the times that were more challenging for you. And and it resonates with everybody in the group because everyone's doing the same thing. And they're looking for, like you said, strategies and just a different way to do it, or um, even to improve if you've been doing it for many years. There's always a new way that someone can share with you and come up with. You're talking about when we talk about these issues in our team meetings? Yes. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. oh that to me is the best because then you're hearing how, like when the last, in the, one of the team meet, one of yours that I went to a while back, where you talk, I think you picked one. I don't know. It was time management, wasn't it? It was because yeah. we were um, talking about taking one per mm-hmm. meeting mm-hmm. and and then everyone wrote down, which I think was a good way to do it too, because then we weren't we were giving everybody equal time, and then we were just going to discuss, right? Um, just for them to explore it more and to think about it and really focus on um, if that's an area, even if that is an area in your performance development that you felt you were doing fairly well. That how could you move from that point? to do even better or to help somebody else do better with it too. We had shared um, ideas. Like I know with one of the um, ideas came from, well, if you're having difficulty getting your notes caught up, 
um, one of the peers just kind of texted them that night and said, <laughs> how many did right. you get done? Right. <laughs> Are you well, getting caught pressure. up? And yeah, yeah. but, then, but, but yeah. for that for that particular person, it worked really well. It was like a motivation mm. for them and just having somebody in, in your corner saying, okay, I know that this isn't your strength, but now you're working to get it done. And um, I just think that you're doing a good job with it. And I just wanted to let you know. And we talked about in that same meeting, um, we talked about another therapist who were managing their time for therapy and stuff. And even managing their, um, one of the things of time management is also supplies. And we'll get into this even in more detail later, but you have one of the therapists on your team who has organized her treatment space so well that she can pull down just toys easily, you know, a variety of toys so that the children never bored in therapy. She's not bored in therapy. They're not doing the same thing over and over again. She can always keep her therapy fresh, mm-hmm. keep them motivated, keep them excited. And she's managing her schedule because this particular individual sees back-to-back to kids all day. And she's doing a phenomenal job of mm-hmm. keeping it fresh, keeping it new, keeping it exciting, but still managing her time so she can get all her kids seen. We talked about that specifically. And some of her ideas, I think, you know, you even pointed out how she can even help mentor you mentor people, but how she can even mentor maybe newer people, and she does. She's she's yes. a, she's doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just some examples. But let's just talk about our last uh, area. Sometimes it can be a pressure point. Cause what I say sometimes the wheels to come off the wagon can be goal setting, and it's really more than just goals. And I'm not talking about like goals that you want to achieve for yourself for the year. I mean like therapy plan goals. Mm-hmm. Because to me, if you're not sort of identified, hey, where are we going with this therapy situation? And it's real clear. It's easy to just sort of check the box, you know, and I think um, one of the things I've seen um, even recently this week, I was working with an OT and a speech therapist and we were um, this little fellow that we have is pretty involved. Mm-hmm. And I was just there as consultation for feeding or something like, you know, they were I was I'm not the main therapist there all the time. I was just a consult. I was helping out. And um, both of these therapists that work with this child, they have a plan. They know where they want this child to go. He's got lots of issues, but they sort of honed in on his main area of weaknesses to make the biggest difference of his life. They've got a plan. They are co-treating and collaborating and working together. And so because of this, he's moving forward and making advances, whereas there's so many issues that they could work on if they didn't really have a good plan and a good clear goal path and that the parents weren't involved with it. It'd be very easy to get bogged down in lots of areas. But instead, they're just, okay, these are the main few areas we want to work on and let's move forward and then we'll reevaluate the plan together in six months but they're mm-hmm. doing that which is great um, I just didn't know if uh actually I thought some of my role when I was there to, was to help them with that but when I got there I'm like oh they already had that <laughs> they had different some other different things they mm-hmm. wanted me to work on but I was like oh mm-hmm. all right great got that but I think sometimes you can be right in the middle of I don't know Paula when you have new therapists to start sometimes they can't see the forest for the trees mm-hmm. they're right in the middle of it and they can't see out to, and I know one of the things that you help people do is like, okay, let's, all right, let's make goals for these kids. Let's sort of figure out where we are. They all have goals, but let's figure out where we want them to go in mm-hmm. therapy, help move forward. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's one thing in graduate school. Sometimes they teach you how to write goals, but they don't help you think about the whole child. Right, right. And and I think that's that's the approach that I was used to is looking at the child holistically and not just looking at that one area, that goal. Mm-hmm. And then when you write that goal, it has to translate into something functional. And even if you're talking about articulation, okay, you're going to say that sound now, you're going to put it in a word. Well, then you're going to have to use that word. And what's going to happen after you use that word? It's it's so mm-hmm. important for them to take it off the paper and the theory mm-hmm. 
and the literature and put it into functional practice. And I think to be realistic, we, we kind of laugh if they have a goal, for example, to get them off the pacifier because they're five years old and it's time <laughs> it's time, and it's affecting their articulation. Well, you know, you can go into particularly, well, for the younger children, when you go into the home where you're working with the parent, but if you don't understand that what that what is going on in that household, and yes. you as a therapist come in there and say, well, you need to do this, or right. you need to do that, and and then you walk out the door, and the parent's like, that's not realistic for me, that's not going to happen, or even just what they're telling them as far as practicing things at home. And I think with a PDT, when we have that prescription pad, and we write down, okay, mm-hmm. this is what we did in therapy, and this is what I need you to work on at home, that takeaway that the parent has clearly states, okay, I can do this, I can plug this into my normal routine, it's realistic, it's it's going to help my child, because I'm going to put it right in that situation, and it's going to be natural, and we're going to use it. And that's what I think we do a really good job with, is, mm-hmm. is making that connection and, and bridging this is what we do as a speech therapist, but it has to be something that they're going to automatically plug into their very busy lives at home, or it's not going to happen. I mean, no. we know that too. I mean, yeah. you can apply that to anybody. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's not exactly. You got to think about what makes sense to this particular child, this family, this situation, this whatever. I was in um, one of our um, contract sites about a month ago, and it, it's not a site I can get to all the time because it's a little bit further away than some of the others. But I was so impressed because the therapists down there were um, – it's OT, PT, and speech all working together. They knew exactly what was going on with all the kids. They knew, okay, well, in, in this classroom, this teacher runs her class like this. So they had done a phenomenal job of understanding, okay, these are the kids and these are what the needs are, but yet let's make our needs also fit in with just basically the style of the teacher mm-hmm. and the classroom and the teacher's assistants and that kind of thing so that the teacher and the assistants could be successful, but yet still what the child needed to accomplish and work on was being done. And then also they had each modified and changed their communications a little bit with the parents because to best also meet their needs. It was a great day. And I just, you know, it's interesting because when you go in, you think, okay, hey, I'm going to... Um, Change gonna, the world. Yeah, I'm going to... Or, yeah, or <laughs> so I'll go, that's right. Magic I'll, wand. That's right, that's right. But they had just, they have they had done a phenomenal job of getting all their, um, uh, really working cohesively and together as a team, and they had goals, they had plans, they knew, they knew, they, they looked at the whole child. It was, mm-hmm. it was fascinating. It, I mean, not fascinating, it was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It was great. Well, and I, I see that too in the schools where they do have that contact with the parents less frequently because they come to the IEP meetings. And uh, the discussion I had with a therapist was about, well, as speech therapists, we tend to talk and talk and talk. And I said, but a very big part of that meeting, because they do come in once a year in the schools, which is different than in the clinic when we see them every week or twice a week, is to ask the parent what their concerns are and, and listen to what they're saying. Because so many times... I've been in situations where the parent is saying something, but uh, a therapist might make the mistake, well, you know, this is what I have, this is my plan, and this is what I wrote down, it looks great. But unless you have that input to make mm-hmm. it functional, it's not a good goal. Mm. And you have to listen to the parent, because it might be something completely different that's a priority for that parent to work on. Yep, I agree 100%. And I think um, that has to be taught. You have to learn that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes natural, just how you do things. But you really have to make an effort 
to think that way at first. Um, well, if this was interesting to you, then, hey, <laughs> in subsequent podcasts, then we're going to get close and personal with time management. And close and personal, no, we're going to get hit the nitty-gritty of each particular area really get specific with all of these because we think each one of these areas is really important. It's how to be successful. It's, it's the collateral stuff of the therapy. Therapy is the fun thing. That's the why. That's what we do. That's what we like to do. That's what we have passion for. But all of this other stuff we've discussed today are areas where if they're not going well, then you spend a lot of time, energy, effort trying to make them all go well, and you forget, hey, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm helping kids. I'm enjoying this. I'm playing with Play-Doh, you know, with these kids. And, and it's, it's a good, I mean, not about Play-Doh, you know what I mean. But it's fun. We're helping people do better. Mm-hmm. And in the process, I'm learning how to grow more, do more, be more, and these little people are. So, but if you don't address and handle these, so hey, where this is a teaser. Next little bit, we'll be talking more about each one of these areas and see what we can help people. And then, Paul, you'll be back to help me with more of the specifics of goal setting and the purpose and all that. So, Paula, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. It was great. And um, thanks for being here. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, like I said, we'll see you again in a little while. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 